Good morning, everyone. How are you? You're good? Good. So the Bible does say that he, God uses the foolish things of this world, so I'm here speaking to you today, so there we go. Um, I'm not very good at jokes. I'll leave that to my husband. Um, so um, what I'd like to speak to you today about today is that um, over the summer holiday, I was spending kind of more time with God and kind of the things that I was looking into the scripture, the things that I felt God was putting on my heart. And it kind of ties in a lot with what we've been hearing here at Oakley recently about the presence of God, about being part of the body of God, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and then also in my mind, I always think about my distractions, what takes me away from that. So if there's time, I'd like to talk about some scriptures where three people were in pretty desperate situations, which would have taken them probably out of the body of God, and what happened when they encountered Jesus. So in the summer, we were very lucky to go to um, Athens, and I always find that when I'm on holiday, when I'm not working, that's the time when I can be really still and really quiet, and that's when I can focus, and that's when I tend to really hear from God, because we have to kind of really focus and be prepared and willing to hear from God. And in Athens, um, there are so many museums, and we love that. And it's something that myself, my husband, and my son just have this desire for information. We love it. We love learning. We love finding out more things. And so we visited loads of museums. And if you go to Athens, you've kind of got the really amazing museums. There's the Acropolis Museum, National Archaeological Museum. I mean, there's so many. Byzantine and Christian Museum, Childhood Museum, Folk Art Museum, loads. You're spoilt for choice. And it's pretty much guaranteed that whatever museum you go into, you will see, probably not musical um, one, but hundreds, absolutely hundreds of clay lamps. Okay. And these lamps are in all sorts of shapes and sizes. I mean, there are big bowl-like lamps down to really teeny tiny ones. I mean, honestly, the size of your thumb. And they're just everywhere in all the museums. In one of the museums, I can't remember if it was the Acropolis Museum or the National Archaeological Museum, they had like a whole almost floor that was dedicated to pottery. And it was just full of these lamps. And I got really bored of seeing them. You kind of look at them once and think, oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. Oh, I'm going to look at the displays. And then it's just like more lamps, more lamps, more lamps. Okay. And the thing that really got to me is those really teeny tiny ones, the thumb size ones, they were so intricately made. I mean, they were beautiful. And I just thought, why would a potter waste their time making something so small, so intricate, and to me, it looked absolutely useless. What is the use of a thumb-sized lamp? How much oil can that even hold? Why would anyone want a lamp that size? And actually, I obsessed over it for a few days, and I just thought, why is this bothering me? So one morning I got up early and I was having some quiet time, again, thinking of the lamps, kind of trying to talk to God, thinking of the lamps, and then the scripture from 1 Corinthians 12 came to me about the body of Christ. And Paul, in this scripture from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 31, Paul is talking about unity and diversity in the body of Christ. We're all part of the same body. Each and every one of us is uniquely and intricately formed. 
and God has placed us there. We have a purpose. So if you look at that thumb-sized lamp, to me, it doesn't seem like it has a purpose, but it has a purpose. And it was really pretty and beautiful and intricately made. And that's each one of us. And if we're quite honest, sometimes we feel like that, don't we? We might look at ourselves and feel, I'm that useless thumb-sized lamp. That's me. But you have a purpose, and your purpose is part of the body of Christ. I can't do what you do. You can't do what I do. And when we come together, we are just so unique and amazing and strong. So I'd just like to read a little bit of that scripture. Um, So this is 1 Corinthians 12, and this is verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And verses 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal Sorry, my paper's stuck together. (laughs) Concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So I don't know if you need to hear this today. If you feel like a small insignificant lamp and you don't know, you think that there's no purpose for you in the body of Christ, there is a purpose because the body is lacking if you're not part of it. You need to be there. And God has created you to be there. Then towards the end of our holiday, we visited the Byzantine and Christian Museum and, of course, saw more lamps. But this time, the lamps in that museum were displayed in a slightly different way. And in that museum, they were displayed in a way that I'd never seen before. They were on lampstands. And that made me think, because obviously I'm seriously overthinking about lamps, you can quite clearly see. It made me think about Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this must be quite important because it's reported in Matthew, the lamp on the lampstand, and it's also reported in chapter 4 of the book of Mark and chapters 8 and 11 of the book of Luke. So if you still have any doubt, I'm an insignificant lamp, not only are you a lamp, you're part of the body of Christ, you're meant to be elevated on a lampstand. You are a light that's shining out to all those around you. So others, and what's the purpose, can see your good example and glorify God. It's not about you being elevated. It's about God being elevated. And 
sometimes it can still be quite overwhelming because you think, okay, how do I get there? Well, lamps need fuel. And the fuel of lamps is oil. And when the Bible speaks about oil, it often means the Holy Spirit. So we are vessels, we are lamps to be filled with the oil, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're still feeling really worried and you're thinking, how can I do that? You're not the fuel. The fuel is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit allows us to burn brightly for Jesus. Now, for some people, that can take the pressure off. But for others, you might still think, well, I don't quite know how to do that. And the Bible often talks about the flesh. And that's something that I struggled with. Like, how do I understand the flesh? How do I know what my desire is, what God's desire is? But if you think about how oil is made, you have to crush the olives. So we have our own desires that can be contrary to what God wants. And we have to crush those desires that are ours, that are contrary to what God wants. And that crushing brings out the oil. And the more time we spend with God, the more we listen, the more we follow the teaching of the Holy Spirit, the more we fill up our lamps and the brighter we burn for God. So be encouraged that we're all part of the body of Christ and we all have a purpose within the body. Now on the good days when my lamp is full and I'm feeling on fire for the Lord, it's really easy to believe that. You know, you have all these squishy, happy feelings. Yeah, I've been to church and yeah, I've been prayed for. Yeah, there's been some amazing things happening. Um, But what happens when we're really going through it? When all these unexpected hard things happen? Sometimes things come out of nowhere and we get a hole in our lamp. We get cracks. That oil starts seeping up. Sometimes we get so discouraged, we'll put a topper on the top of us. We won't allow that oil to fill into us, to go into us. Sometimes you might feel like a pimple. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even a thumb anymore. I'm a pimple. I'm no good. You know, life is really, really hard. Circumstances can be incredibly tough. And I think the question for me is, what do I do when my lamp is running low on fuel? What do I do when I've got those holes or there's a stopper in? Because personally, when that happens, I tend to walk away from the body of Christ. I don't want to be near people. I don't feel like I'm worthy. And I think that's a tactic that the enemy uses, is isolation. And isolation is not good for the body. We're not meant to be on our own. We're meant to be together. Now, the scripture in Matthew talks about We're a lamp to be on a stand, not to be covered with a bowl. Some circumstances can be so harsh, it's almost like a bowl has been thrown on top of us. And what happens if you're a lamp and a bowl's thrown on top of you? You haven't got that oxygen. Your flame starts going out. And life can come at us from all directions and pull us away from the body of Christ. Now, given we're in church on a Sunday, it's not going to come as any surprise But the answer is, of course, Jesus and all the truth and promises of God's word. 
and drawing close to Jesus and staying strong in faith and really believing and standing on the promises of the Lord, even when our circumstances are really, really challenging. And that can be tough. It can be really, really tough. And what I want to do today is talk about three people in scripture who are going through absolutely dire, dire life situations. Um, they need de desperate healing and restoration in their lives and to look at what their encounter with Jesus did and kind of my thoughts on what I think the Bible is showing us in those encounters with Jesus. And first, let's look at the story of the man um, with a demon-possessed son, and this is reported um, in a couple of places in the Bible, but the section of scripture I looked at was from Mark chapter 9. And I believe this scripture is showing us the importance of drawing close to Jesus and being really honest about unbelief around the restoration of our circumstances in order to overcome our unbelief. Now this man, his son, since childhood had had seizures. He was foaming at the mouth, the son was nonverbal, and we know that he was possessed by a demon because the scripture says so. Medically, it could look like other conditions, but we know it's, in this case it's a demon possession. And this demon, we're told, is trying to kill the boy. He tries to throw him in fire. Now, could you imagine seeing someone you love so much suffering like that? Could you imagine not being able to do anything about it? And it's been going on for a long time. We don't know how old the boy is, but it says it's since childhood. So if it's since childhood, was he an older child? Was he an adult? We don't know but it must have been going on for a long time. And when you're in difficult situations for a long time, you can get really worn down. It can be quite difficult. And when the man brings his son to the disciples, they can't heal him. He must know they can heal people. He must know Jesus can heal people. Otherwise, why would he have brought them, his, the son to his disciples? They've been traveling around healing, and yet his son is not restored. And when he speaks to Jesus, you can tell from the language that he uses that he doesn't believe that Jesus can heal him either. He doesn't ask for healing. He asks if anything can be done to help. And I think sometimes when you are so low, you don't ask for the direct uh, resolution of your circumstances. You just want a little. You just want a tiny little thing. Anything is better than nothing. And he, it's clear that this man can't see any healing or normal life ahead of them. And so Jesus says to him, if you can, because he approaches Jesus says, if you can heal my son, or if there's anything you can do to help, sorry, not if you can heal my son. And Jesus says to him, everything is possible for one who believes. And the man immediately says, I do believe help me overcome my unbelief. He believes in Jesus, but he has unbelief about healing and restoration. Now, my husband did an amazing sermon on this a few weeks ago, and he did a whole sermon on help me with my unbelief. Um, so I'm not going to go into detail, um, as much detail as he did. Um, you can listen to that back on um, the, the services on the website. But unbelief can be a massive wedge that we place between us and Jesus 
and God's promises and the restoration of our circumstances. If we don't believe in any one of God's promises, or if we believe that certain promises are for other people but not for us, are we really giving those things to God? If you look at what the man did, he didn't ask for healing. He just asked for if there's anything you can do to help. Surely he should have been able to say, I've seen you heal other people. Please heal my son. And if we aren't going to God and giving our full problems to him, then we're not going to receive the full benefits that Jesus died on the cross for us to have. It's like we almost ignoring certain parts of the Bible, ignoring certain promises and saying they're not for us. Imagine you've got a meal in front of you and you're really, really hungry, but you don't believe that's yours. Are you going to go and eat it? If I think that's your meal, am I going to go and eat your meal? I'm not. I'm going to leave it there. But that's my meal. I just don't believe it's mine. So I don't take it and I'm hungry. But if we contrast that with uh, a man who approached Jesus in Mark chapter 1, um, you can see the difference in the language. In this case, it was a man with leprosy who came to Jesus. And just listen to the difference in the language. So a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the NIV says Jesus was indignant. Other translations says he was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So you can tell by the language, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He knows Jesus can do it. He just doesn't know if Jesus is willing. And Jesus, of course, is willing. But if we go back to the man with the demon-possessed son, he is wise enough to be totally honest with Jesus. I love his cry of, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. And I think it's a clear instruction to us to cry out for the same thing and be totally honest about any unbelief we have in our situations. Because if we have unbelief, then we've put up a barrier between ourselves and Jesus. And then something else that he went through, his son had been prayed for by disciples. How many times have we been prayed for and we don't see immediate answers to our prayer? And that can get you down. We have to just focus on Jesus. But to me, I don't want to focus too much about the unanswered prayer element. Uh, what I that speaks to me is that actually it's good to ask for prayer, but it's good to go direct to Jesus as well. So I think it's a good question to ask is with all of these people we see in the Bible that approach Jesus, can we relate to these people? Can we see ourselves in them? Do I have any unbelief? Do I need to cry out, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief? If you feel that that's you today, then that can be your cry and use that to meet with Jesus. Next, we'll look at the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. And I believe this highlights the importance of having faith. Unlike the man with the demon-possessed son, this woman clearly had faith. I mean, she had a vision of herself being healed. And it, I think it also speaks about dealing with the source of your problem. Now, she said to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I would be healed. She knew he could heal her, and she knew if she approached him, she would be healed. And it says, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And what's really interesting to me is what Jesus' response was to her. He said, your faith has healed you. 
And many times in the Bible, when people have received healing, Jesus' response or the response of the disciples is, your faith has healed you. So it's really clear that actually we need to have faith. I know it sounds, you know, could be pretty obvious, but we need to have faith. Even if it's faith, faith we're told the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. But it's important just to have that speck of faith. And with a speck of faith, we can really access all the um, promises of, of, of Jesus. I also like the Amplified Classic translation that talks about her healing. And in um, verse 29, it says, immediately her flow of blood was dried up at the source, and suddenly she felt in her body that she was healed of her distressing ailment. Now, this is the only translation that talks about being dried up at the source, about it being dealt with at the source. And you might think, well, if it's the only one, isn't that a bit dodgy? And I do like to look at different translations, particularly with the AMP-C, because sometimes it's got things in there that aren't anywhere else. Um, but if you look at the translation of, of this from the biblical Greek, it talks about the fountain or the well being dried up. What's a well? It taps into the source of the water. And so I think, are we aware of the source of our problems? Are we asking Jesus to help us with the source or the root of our issue? We can be dealing with a number of symptoms, but one root cause. And if we only deal with one particular symptom, we haven't actually dealt with the cause and something's going to crop up again. So I'll give you a real life example. I had a hole in my shoe and my feet were really cold and I put on warmer socks and that's fine when it's just cold. But if it rains, I've got a whole other problem because I haven't dealt with the root cause of my cold feet. My feet may be warm, but then they're going to get wet as well. And if we look at Mark chapter 11, Jesus curses a fig tree. And it says, next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig, fig tree in leaf. And when it's in leaf, it should have fruit. Um, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In the morning, they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. But it was withered from the roots. So immediately, Jesus had done something about it, and it looked fine, it looked alive. But the next day, you could see it was gone. So I think it's really important to ask Jesus, what is the root cause of what I'm going through? What is the root cause that I need to deal with? And also to take heart from this story about the fig tree, just because something looks like it's still alive and active and causing problems in your life doesn't mean that it's not being dealt with. If something is being dealt with from the roots, sometimes it can take time to travel up through the rest of the plant. And then this uh, area of scripture also then goes on to say straight after this to have faith in God and talks about if you have faith, anyone can say to this mountain, go and be thrown in the sea. Now, the amazing thing about this woman is she was unclean. She was bleeding. It was really incredibly bold of her to go and approach Jesus. She should not have been anywhere near people. And if you think about her symptoms, 
She'd been having all those symptoms for such a long time, 12 years of pain, 12 years. I mean, she would have been severely anemic. She wouldn't have had much energy. And yet she was bold and she did everything it took to go to Jesus. And sometimes we need to muster that up in ourselves as well. And then lastly, because we're coming to time, in Mark 5, I would like to talk about Jairus. And actually, Jairus asked for healing of his daughter. Um, And I think it shows us to stick with Jesus and have faith, even if others are being healed while we're still waiting, even when all seems impossible and it looks like there's no coming back from the situation we're in. With Jesus, there's always a way. Now, Jairus was a synagogue leader and his daughter was sick. He approached Jesus immediately before the woman of blood did with the issue of blood. Jesus and Jairus were actually on the way to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' daughter when the woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus' hem and was healed. What effect do you think that had on Jairus? I don't know about you, but if you're in a dire situation and you see someone else in a dire situation being restored by God, doesn't it build up your faith? I mean, my favorite thing is hearing God at work. I love hearing how God is moving in the lives of others. It is so incredibly encouraging and it builds up my faith. Now, the Bible doesn't say what Jairus thought or felt, but I really imagine that would have been so encouraging to him to see this woman restored. And I believe it would have been a big faith builder. And he would have needed that because of what happened next. Because immediately after the woman with the issue of blood was healed, and Jesus says her faith had healed her, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Wow, that looks like there's no way out. Then overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in the room where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. How many times have you been in a situation where people will say, prayer won't work, faith won't work, just stop praying, just give up, just don't do it, go and move on to something else, find a different resolution somewhere else. Jesus is good, but put your faith elsewhere. That's what happened to Jairus. But this shows you that to stick with Jesus, basically, just stick with Jesus because There is so much more with Jesus. And in the recent teachings we've been hearing over the past series, we've been hearing recent stories about the disciples. So there's kind of the group of the 12, there's the 72. But when things are really serious, Jesus sticks with the three closest disciples here. 
And to me, it makes me think about who, who, who's my 12, who's my 72, who's my three. You know, if I'm really going through it, who are those close, faithful people that I want around me that I know are going to encourage me in Christ and who are not going to tell me to give up? Who, they're going to tell me to dig in deeper, stay with Christ, keep praying, keep believing, keep your faith. So maybe that's something for us to think about. Do we have a 12, a 72, and a 3? Who are they? And the other thing is that Ephesians talks about lifting the shield of faith, but sometimes if you just had news like that, where would your shield be? Quite honestly, mine would be on the ground, and I would need those three full of faith to lift my arm up and hold it up for me, or at least cover me with their shield. Because honestly, there are situations in life that make us crumble, and there are times when our faith wavers, and that's why we need our 12, our 72, and our 3. That's why we need to know that we're a lamp filled with oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit that will never, ever run out, and that we are part of a body. And think about when part of your body is injured. You know, I had an injury to my foot once, and I put pressure on the other foot. The other foot was supporting the one that I couldn't put pressure on. That's what we do when we're together in the body. The rest of the body supports the part that at that time can't operate fully. And we're coming to time. I'm sure I've missed out lots of things that I wanted to say. And hopefully um, these kind of crazy ramblings starting at lamps and kind of going through these, the scripture of, um, of these um, people approaching Jesus from Mark has kind of made some sense because you know sometimes things make sense in your own mind but when you're relaying them sometimes things can get lost but maybe let's take if we've got time a couple of minutes to just approach God and just say Lord help me with my unbelief I believe help me with my unbelief Lord I'm a lamp I want to be a lamp I want to be part of the body but there are these things in the way. Lord, my lamp has holes in. Patch them up. Take the stopper off. Give me some fresh oil. Take the, the bowl that's been thrown over me. Take it off so I can go back on that lampstand and shine for you. And it's time to allow the fuel of the Holy Spirit to burn bright flames for Jesus. So let's just take a couple of minutes just to think on that. Lord, we just say thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for that fresh oil, that oil that doesn't run out. Thank you, Lord, that when we come to you, you will always fill us afresh. And thank you that even as tiny and insignificant as we feel, that you have a purpose for us within your body. Amen. Thank you, Joe. That was great. Thank you so much.